Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 53rd program in this series. In this program, I'm finishing up a section in John chapter 10. This was the day after the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles during this particular time when Jesus was ministering. And this day actually began in chapter 8. John recorded a lot of events that took place between John chapter 8 and John chapter 10, but this really was all the same day. In John chapter 8, we have the woman who was caught in adultery and the conversation that resulted from that discussion. Jesus was run out of the temple, and when he left the temple, he found a man who was born blind, he healed the man, and then the man went back to the temple and testified of Jesus. This was in John chapter 9. And then in John chapter 10, Jesus continues the conversations with regards to what happened during this day. And Jesus took the opportunity to speak to the people and emphasize the fact that he is not like the other religious leaders. There was a division that was taking place between the people as some of the people were beginning to believe in Jesus and other people were rejecting the Lord Jesus as the Messiah. And Jesus was emphasizing the point that he is not like everyone else and that they really needed to decide, they really needed to choose who they were going to believe. And some of the people were beginning to believe the Lord Jesus because He was telling the truth, they were acknowledging the truth, and they wanted to live a life in reality, on the basis of truth. There were others who were rejecting the Lord Jesus, but it wasn't because they disagreed with him. They did not have an argument with him regarding the truth. What they were concerned about was the consequences that they would have to potentially endure if they were to believe that Jesus was telling the truth, and if they were to embrace the truth that Jesus was conveying. And so the people who were following Jesus at this time were the kinds of people who valued the truth more than their concerns with regards to the consequences that they might endure if they do believe the truth. Some of the people were willing to believe the truth regardless of the consequences. Others were not willing to believe the truth because they were concerned about the consequences. Now, the consequences were related to the religious leadership. And this is where the conflict was coming from. It was coming from the religious leaders. And Jesus' presence was stirring up this conflict because the religious leaders and those who wanted to believe the religious leaders were feeling uncomfortable with Jesus, with what could potentially happen if Jesus was recognized as the Messiah. You see, if Jesus was recognized as the Messiah, then there was great risk. The Romans were in power 
over this region at this time in history. And they would have no tolerance for somebody asserting themselves as the king over Israel. If a person asserted themselves, or if others brought this person forward and declared that this person is the king, then this would be against the authority of the Romans. The Romans would consider this to be an act of sedition, and people would die. The king would be arrested, anybody who followed the king would be arrested, and they would be executed. This is the way that people resolve these kinds of problems. And if there were a lot of people who were following after this king, then you would have a war, and there could be tremendous destruction in the land through war. In addition to that, you have the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin and those who are working at the temple. You have the religious leaders who are under the authority of the Romans. And the Romans have given the Sanhedrin and the temple authorities headed by the high priest, the Romans have given these people authority to govern over the population. They don't have absolute authority. As an example, the Romans did not permit the Sanhedrin to execute anyone. If anyone was going to die, they had to be tried in a Roman court. So the Sanhedrin, the high priest, and the people who worked for the temple operations, they did not have absolute authority, but the Romans gave them a certain amount of authority in order to participate in governing the people. And so the Romans did not have to be occupied with all of the problems of the people. And so one way to consider this is that the Sanhedrin were, in a sense, working for the Romans and the people who were operating the temple compound. In a sense, they were working for the Romans in order to help maintain order and stability there in the land. Now, they did have power. They did have authority. They could execute consequences in people's lives. They could arrest people. They could punish people. They could expel people from the synagogue, from the temple operations, from the congregation, so to speak. They did have power. And because they had this power, the people had to decide if they wanted to comply with these people who were in power, or if they were not going to comply with these people in power. Now, the people who were in power would be concerned about war, because if the Romans discover that they are not keeping the population under some degree of control, and we have this potential seditious act taking place where we have someone being declared as king that could result in war, then these authorities might be removed from their positions there in Israel as people of authority. The Romans may just simply declare that these people are no longer the authorities, and then they'll go find some other people who will maintain better order and not potentially contribute or participate in the dysfunction of a society when you have sedition and you have war. And so the religious leaders were very concerned about losing their position. They were concerned about the Romans taking away their position 
and the Romans could potentially restructure the entire nation in such a way that Israel could effectively no longer really exist. And so from the point of view of the religious authorities, Jesus was a great risk to them. Now, the people who complied with the authorities, they also needed to be concerned about whether they were going to believe in Jesus or not. They had great risk themselves if the authorities decided to expel them. If the religious authorities decided to cast someone out of the synagogue, out of the congregation, then this person's life is going to change a lot. You see, everybody's life was somewhat synchronized with the authorities who were governing the land. Everyone's life was synchronized in some respect. For example, the religious authorities established laws concerning the Sabbath. They established laws that were given in order to ensure that people would not violate the Mosaic law. There were certain beliefs that were asserted from the religious leaders. And if people did not comply with these laws, then they would be out of sync. They would not really be participating in the things of the society. The general rabbi, the rabbis who were over the people, the Pharisees and the scribes, the people who did not necessarily have a direct role with the Sanhedrin or the temple compound, they obtained benefit from their role in the society, from being a member of the synagogue, from being a participant in the things of the temple. Through this, they obtained a lot of social capital. They had a lot of relationships with other people. They had a certain standing within the community. They had a certain degree of respect. All of these things were utilized by the individuals in order to get work, in order to have a place within the society. They needed to comply with the beliefs of the religious leaders or they could be cast out of the synagogue, and this would cause a disruption in their lives. This disruption would be uncomfortable, and it would likely be very difficult for them to restructure, reorganize their lives, so that they could live their lives believing in Jesus openly and honestly, It could require a restructuring of their lives, and it could require them to build new relationships with new people. They would have to start over. This would be a big disruption, and this would cause great discomfort in their lives. So Jesus was threatening a lot in people's lives. He was causing a significant disruption in people's lives. And because of what he taught and proclaimed in the temple, and because of the healing of the man who was born blind, on this day, this was a busy day, because of all that Jesus was doing, not just on this day, but every day, because of what he was doing, there was a division that was taking place within the land, within the community, within the people. Jesus did not come to bring peace and harmony with all the people. That's not what he was doing. 
there was already a sense of peace and harmony within the nation before he arrived to an extent. But when he showed up and when he began to conduct his ministry, when he interacted with people and when he became a participant in the lives of people, he caused great disruption, great discomfort, and he caused a division, a huge division among the people, huge conflicts, because there were some people who believed him and other people who did not. Again, there were people who believed him because of the truth, and there were other people who did not believe in him because they did not want to endure the discomfort that they would likely experience in their lives if they were to believe the truth. So what do people do when they are confronted with the truth, and it's just simply so obvious that they are denying reality? What do people do about that? How do they respond? Well, they either deal with the problem and come to an acceptance of the truth or officially declare that they are rejecting the truth or they deal with this confrontation. They deal with this conflict. They deal with this comfort by trying to eliminate the person who is causing the discomfort. In other words, if they can just get rid of Jesus, if Jesus would just disappear, well, then this entire issue that is causing them discomfort would disappear. It would go away. So the objective of the people who are rejecting Jesus has to be related to how do we get rid of Jesus. That's the only thing that matters. In order to get rid of Jesus... They have to do things or say things or assert things in some way, maybe even manipulate things. They have to do something in order to make it impossible for Jesus to be in their lives. And this is what we see at the end of this section in John chapter 10, the section regarding Jesus' parable about the Good Shepherd. What we see is that the people who reject Jesus, they assert, they make the assertion of something that is just so ridiculous, something that cannot be argued, something that cannot be worked out. They take a position and they proclaim something that clearly states there is no way that we are going to allow Jesus to continue to be a part of our lives. We're going to make it so clear that there is no way for him to be a part of our lives, that this is the way we will remove him. And the way that they accomplish this is by declaring that Jesus has a demon. That's what they do. They just simply say, you're demonically possessed. Now, everybody could tell, everybody knows that Jesus is not demonically possessed. This is abundantly obvious. There's no confusion about this at all. In John chapter 8, verse 48, Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Well, of course he's not a Samaritan. Of course he doesn't have a demon. They know that. Everybody knows that. 
But by asserting this, by stating this, they make it clear that there's no way that they are going to allow Jesus to have a functional conversation with them. Jesus is not going to be allowed to participate in their lives. They can't remove him from their lives with the truth. They can't get the discomfort out of their lives with the truth. So they will get this discomfort out of their lives by telling lies. That's what they do. They tell lies. They speak things that they know are not true, that everybody knows is not true. And so it's obvious that there's no way that you will be able to have a rational conversation, discussion, debate, or anything with this person. This is a way that people will tell you that they will not allow you to have a conversation with them. They will not allow you to have any role in their lives whatsoever. It is a manipulation to say that there is something wrong with you using lies, using dishonesty. They say there's something wrong with you and you will get so frustrated with the fact that it is impossible to have any productive conversation with this person at all. They will not permit you to resolve any problems. They will not permit any problems to be resolved. Their resolution, their solution to these problems is to get rid of you. And they will get rid of you by trying to make you look evil, by trying to make it look like there's something wrong with you. And because it is so obvious because it is so obvious that this is dishonest, that this is a denial of reality, this is their way of saying, there will be no relationship with me, I will not allow it, just get out of my life and never return, I will do anything to include deny reality, I will deny reality to get you out of my life. And if you are still here, it's only because you just don't get it. And what is it that Jesus wouldn't get? He wouldn't get the fact that they absolutely will not suffer the discomfort that could result if they believe him. Now, there is no way to have a functional relationship with people like this. There is no way to do that. Because there will always be opportunities for discomfort. There will always be problems to solve when there is a relationship between two people. And so there are people like this, lots of people who are like this, who Jesus cannot have a relationship with. It's not possible. It's not because God created these people to be like this. It is a decision. It is a choice that people make according to how they decide they are going to value the discomfort or the comfort in their lives. Now, when people live in denial of reality, eventually their lives will collapse. There will be a collapse of society. There will be a collapse of civilization. This will certainly take place 
It's only a matter of time. And most people who are like this just simply live their lives with hope that they will die before the collapse takes place. Or if it takes place, they will just simply commit suicide and end their lives. This is what happens. A lot of people solve the problems of life in this way. And at this time when Jesus was ministering, there were a lot of people who passed away before they suffered the consequences of their rejection of the Lord Jesus as the Messiah. And so the collapse eventually happened. But the people who reject reality, they are willing to accept that with the hope that they will die before it happens. They will also accept this because they will at least enjoy the comfort that they will have until the collapse takes place. And they have the belief, the distorted belief, that they will find a way to restructure their lives in a healthy and productive way afterwards. They recognize that they will have to do it at some point. And so they make a decision that they'll deal with it when they absolutely have to deal with it. If they can deny reality and keep the system going, continue to be a part of the system, have their lives synchronized with the status quo. If they can deny reality and things will remain okay, they will do so and will only deal with the problems when they absolutely have to. Dealing with the problems of life and solving these issues usually requires a lot of effort, a lot of skill, a lot of knowledge, a lot of wisdom, A lot of these things that these people simply don't have. And these are things that require time to build and organize. And these people will have to start over to such an extent that they won't have time to be able to restructure their lives effectively before they may suffer some serious consequences that could result in such devastation that they cannot continue their lives, or they may find themselves being the slaves of somebody else. So this was what was going on after Jesus proclaimed the parable of the shepherd. This is found in verse 19. In John chapter 10, verse 19, Therefore there was a division again among the Jews, because of these sayings. And many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? In other words, this is obvious. This is reality. And you're denying reality. Well, this is what's going on. What's going on is that people are denying reality because this is their solution to the risk of the discomfort that they may endure. And it's the same thing today. You will find lots of people in your life who are like this today. Jesus spoke to the people. It was his ministry. It was his mission. He understood what he was doing. And he knew that there would be some people who would believe him and other people who would not. And he knew that those who did not believe him would choose not to believe him because they did not want to experience the consequences and feel the discomfort that they would have to endure if they did believe him. And so he knew that this strategy was going to be used to be irrational, 
to deny reality, to accuse him of being demon-possessed in order to assert the fact that he is not going to get through to them. They will not allow him to get through to them. He got it. But there are a lot of people today who never get it. There are people who continue to try to reach out to other people. You may have some people like this in your life. If you don't, you will eventually. You'll have somebody in your life who you will try to reach out to, who you will speak to, and they will respond to you in an irrational way such as this. They will deny reality. You can engage in an argument with them, and they will continue to deny reality. Some people will find this to be a form of amusement, to try to encourage you to convince them of something that there is no way they will ever agree to. No matter how true it is, no matter how real it is, when you encounter someone like this, you must walk away. You must flee. You must find somebody else. If you're going to have some sense of value in your life and in your time, in comparison with how much frustration you will experience trying to share the Lord with someone who absolutely does not want him in their lives. And I will continue with this in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 53rd program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 18 through 21, where I was explaining in more detail what would motivate a person to accuse someone else of being demonically possessed, because that's what some of the people did. Jesus presented the truth. He presented reality, but there were a lot of people who did not want to accept the truth. They did not want to accept reality, mainly because of the consequences that they would endure or could endure if they believed Jesus. And so the way that they solved the discomfort that they were dealing with was by telling Jesus that he was demonically possessed. It was a statement of the denial of reality. And when you encounter someone like this, you have to understand that they are telling you there is no way they will have honest communication with you. There is no way they will have a relationship with you. And I will continue with this in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net